Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast with me, Molly Herford, and the Feisty Media Network. I am so excited about Market Yourself March. Honestly, this was just really such an eye-opening batch of interviews that I did heading into this month, and I'm so excited to get to share these with you today. I really tried to talk to people who could talk about like a wide scope of businesses, you know, not just the the small just getting started businesses, but also these really well-established companies and these very much, you know, no budget, little bit of budget, huge budget campaigns. And I think we have a really good mix of women speaking on these topics this month. And today we actually are talking kind of all about PR, branding and marketing with Jeanette Sherman, who owns M&B Collective out of Colorado. And let me tell you, Jeanette is an amazing PR person because she is also the reason we have the Shredley founder on next month when we're talking all about product development. So talk about kind of a, a multi-use episode here. Uh, Jeanette is just fantastic. We have so much to talk about here, including when you do want to get outside PR for your business, what you want to have lined up before you do that. So what I really appreciate about her is she's not saying, hey, everyone should call me. She's actually saying, here are the important things to consider before you start thinking about bringing in some outside help with this marketing and PR stuff. And when you do bring someone in, here's sort of the do's and don'ts around how to make it actually work for you. Because honestly, we talked about this in the episode, there's a lot of very sketchy organizations out there that promise you so much PR, so much coverage, and really they're just mass emailing these giant spreadsheets of people and have no idea who they're talking about. I know because I get dozens of these emails every single day and delete almost all of them. So the fact that, uh, you know, Jeanette and I even connected in the first place really shows that uh, clearly she is doing some excellent work when it comes to marketing. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Jeanette Sherman. Enjoy. All right, Jeanette, welcome to the Business of Fitness podcast. First of all, how's it going today? Great, wonderful, preparing for yet another snowstorm. We'll see if it's two inches or two feet. So, Oh, no. Oh, no. Wait, where, where is home for you? Um, so I um, live in Morrison, Colorado, which is just right outside Denver. So home of a Rocks Amphitheater, just south of Golden, like 10, 15 minutes. Nice, nice. So how did you how did you end up here? Possibly literally, but more more metaphorically, what's what's your business journey to, you know, working in in this field of marketing and PR and also like in the, you know, fitness space, you work with some really cool brands. How did you get here? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, So I would put it all the way back even to college, like I didn't get into Northwestern in Evanston, Illinois, which I actually now I was really upset at the time at 18, but um, I went to school at the University of Oregon, which really like started my love for the outdoors. And I actually was a really avid snowboarder when I was in college, even took a winter off. Um, And that sort of bled into this career, into the outdoor industry, doing internships, even in college at places like Mount Hood Meadows. Um, So my career actually started, if you can believe it, in snow. Um, And you'll get to like know my little bipolar side in that I also at the same time was working as a um, journalist for an NPR affiliate in Eugene, Oregon. Um, so my past, I also have a journalism background along with this kind of like marketing. So I like kind of worked that duality when I was younger for a while until basics told you got to choose, like, which one are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, lots of experience in snow. I actually worked in healthcare briefly. Um, I've worked in tech a little bit. And then really dove deep into the cycling and fitness space um, via my 
um, becoming a demo driver, believe it or not, at the age of like, I think I was 32 at Live Cycling. Oh, that's so funny. I think you're like the third Live Demo driver we've had on. I guess they've yeah. really gotten a lot of women into this industry. For sure. Yeah. So Liz, Liz um, Walker was one person you spoke to, for sure. You might speak to Jen Adia. So I started as a demo driver, but that switched really quickly into working in-house for Liv as the U.S. marketing manager, global marketing, comms, like I'd had that experience prior. So um, it was just like, you know, that was the likely trajectory for me and why I took that demo driver job. Bit of a risk, but <laughs> panned out. And then from there, um, I worked for Yeti Cycles um, as the marketing manager. They're now an on-again, off-again client as needed on a project basis. Um, and that's what landed me in Colorado. So and then prior to that, like after after Yeti, before starting my own business, I worked for an agency, um, True Communication, that's now IGT. So tons of experience there, something I'm very thankful for, um, just learning how to manage clients and understanding how to set things up and scope creep, which we can certainly talk about, mm-hmm. or scope of work in general. Um, yeah, and that's that's literally and figuratively how I ended up in Colorado and how I ended up starting my own business. Okay, so what made you make the leap into starting your own business? Because I mean that adds a whole other dimension of now you need to PR yourself and market yourself in addition to marketing everyone else. Yes. This is, this is PR for myself in a way, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a fun conversation, but that's the reality, right? Part of it is promoting yourself. Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely like, um, a process where I spent some sleepless nights and you spend a lot of nights doubting yourself. Um, and that's that fear, right? Working from a place of fear, (laughs) never a good place to work from. Until I, you know, kind of grounded myself and said, you know what, you know how to do this. I had so many clients come to me and say like, or, you know, companies and or individuals come to me and be like, is there ever an opportunity like that we could just work with you? Um, and that's no reflection on the agency I worked for prior. Not at all. They just were like, we really like working with you. What does that look like? So, um, you know, long and short of it was that sort of gave me the courage to go into that um, and get after it. And then so initially I started with... Um, essentially three clients, Rush Ventures, which is like Rebecca Rush, Be Good Foundation. Um, and um, why am I having a moment here? The, I, the race in Idaho, why am I having a moment here? Help. Uh, Rebecca's <laughs> the, private Idaho? Um, thank you. Yes. Goodness. See, so, this is also what happens when you start your own business. Sometimes your brain just lets things Oh, go. I know the so Rebecca's private Idaho. <laughs> Rebecca's private Idaho. Um, and then I work with a, actually a local um, group here called Team Evergreen, um, and they promote a whole ton of like events and races. And it's a nonprofit um, that raises funds for Colorado organizations. And then Shredley, um, so Ashley Rankin's apparel company, which is amazing opportunity. Um, and then alongside that, I work with a ver- variety of other clients: Live Cycling, Esker, Yeti. Um, those never really cross over. I'm usually doing project stuff for them because there is some firewall like issues there where I don't want to like be sharing information or sharing strategy. Mm -hmm. Now, actually, maybe talk a little bit about the like client versus project sort of difference, just so people kind of have a a sense of it, because I think this is just fascinating from someone who's thinking in terms of getting a job in this field. Totally, totally. Yeah. And I think I'm still figuring that part out. Like they're all clients. Um, I think of them probably more as like a monthly or a project. Um, More often than not, the monthly is better, right? Because that's like, oh, I have a steady income. I have is always happening. Like, I don't have to like wonder if in November, if I'm going to be able to pay the mortgage. If you play your cards right, you can ultimately um, kind of like, I like, I think the idea of trying to get as many monthlies or really being super frugal um, with some bigger projects, then you can kind of set yourself up so that 
maybe you want to take a month off in January and go to Japan and ski, like, or go to Guatemala and ride your bike, like whatever that looks like. I mean, that's not the must. And that's not probably the focus for most um, small business owners, but it is like, that's something that can give you that freedom. If you have a project that you know, has a very firm start and end date. Um, whereas the monthly, clearly you have deliverables every month, you know, every week, sometimes every day. Yeah. So that I, first for me, it felt a lot more comfortable to have that kind of monthly client set up. So then I could build some revenue and then t- squirrel that away. Um, right now I'm doing a little bit of both. I'm doing monthly and project work. I actually really like the bit of both as someone who's a freelancer, not necessarily in this exact field, but I, I do enjoy having sort of the one-off projects, but then also the steady stuff. I think there's a good blend of that tends to be the best. Yeah. I think that's good insight. Yeah. So thank you. Cause I'm still figuring that out. I'm like, oh, I, I'm just like, I like that firm footing, but mm-hmm. we're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. Um, okay. And I mean, let's maybe give some people some context. Could you maybe talk about like one of the specific clients you've worked with, maybe a launch that you're particularly proud of something that you've, you kind of made happen just so people understand what it looks like. Um, gosh, I, so that's one thing I would say is that you're never, you like marketing is never a solo effort. That just isn't kind of how that ever happens, you know? Um, but, oh gosh, I would say that my most favorite, uh, like launch was definitely the, um, my last project with Yeti Cycles, um, where they launched the 120, 140, 160. So I worked on the PR side of that and putting um, essentially the media week together, helping them kind of um, with some of the product positioning. Um, they have such a, they have honestly a really refined and mature team over there. So I'm definitely working as an auxiliary. I did have the advantage clearly of having worked um, in that marketing department for three years prior. So that's a pretty easy, like, dovetail in, I get who's who, who to talk to, how to get questions answered, things like that. So um, I'm really proud of that. I couldn't say that I, you know, did that top to bottom in terms of like writing all the copy. Like they have an amazing guy by the name of Evan Fry, who's probably one of the best copywriters on the planet, let alone in terms of outdoor and um, Yeti. But I'm definitely, you know, involved in like, okay, hey, does that make sense? And is that in line with the product and that delivering um, the product message that we want? And is that then like, allowing media to understand what is the product, who is it for, um, and how does it even fit into the overall line for who Yeti is kind of thing. So that was just last at the end of end of last year. We did a media launch in September and then that product launched uh, between like October, November. Sorry, I don't remember all those dates. Um, I couldn't even remember the name of an event. So yeah, um, that one I'm proud of. And I've done that um, many times between Live and Yeti Cycles. I couldn't, I, I'd have to sit down and think about how many product launches I've done. Lots, many product launches. Um, but I'm, that's the most recent one, having owned my business, my own business and done that. On a smaller scale, um, Esker just released two different bikes as well, like a titanium gravel bike and um, the, a new fat bike. And they just, their product is so different um, in that they're really focusing on like, durability and like making product that's makes the backcountry more accessible. So they're not like chasing the newest geo geometry want to be not used too many jargony terms, chasing ge- like geometry and that kind of thing. They're really chasing like what makes you feel comfortable and confident on your bike. So we looked at kind of revamping their website. There's still some more work to do there. Um, and just really delivering on that message for them and how like how specific to their brand, like where again, these products fit in. So we looked at like revamping the website, redesigning kind of the format of that. And then I helped with the copywriting on that side as well. Nice. 
Now, that's actually an interesting thing that's making me think about how often when you start talking to brands like that, especially maybe the smaller, newer brands, how often do they come to you with like very like clear mission values, like vibe that they want to put out versus how often are you trying to kind of like pull that out of them? Uh, because I mean, obviously a lot of people listening to this are either starting small businesses or have small businesses and are maybe thinking they want to start marketing themselves. They maybe want to think about PR, but what should they have lined up before they really think about their marketing efforts or their PR efforts? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I've been really fortunate in that more often than not, I think so many of my clients know who they are like now. And so we have the opportunity of more refining, like saying like, okay, how do we then take that message and um, make sure that's understood by your consumer um, and delivered in a way that's really actionable for you and actionable for um, consumers. I have a, I have a really big thing I'm really working on right now with pretty much anybody who wants to talk about marketing and that's, are you giving your consumers tools to interact with you in a way that's meaningful? And like, it, it actually, you know, like, sure, maybe it drives them to the website, but it builds a relationship, you know, and that might be like, you know, are you talking like, like, for example, Yeti, like Switch Infinity, are you really giving them tools in order for them to understand how their the suspension platform works? And even how like that individual rider and consumer can like maintain the Switch Infinity, the actual mechanism on the bike. That gives them a tool and a reason to interact with you in a way that's meaningful, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that's like, so the Yeti is very clear on who they are. Live extremely clear on who they are. Um, Yeah, and so sometimes with a smaller brand, it's like, I think what can be really, really um, hard for a lot of us is we get, we can tend to get really distracted by shiny objects, like chase the thing and go, 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 go. Instead of being like, okay, let's get back to, what are our goals? Like even like down to like, what are our financial goals for the year? Um, like, and how does that even align with inventory, et cetera? And like looking at, okay, does this actual activity drive us to, or action, drive us towards those goals and achieving what we want? And sometimes, sometimes that's not going to have a dollar sign attached to it. Sometimes it is a brand story and that has an impact ultimately on your bottom line, but like really asking yourself those hard questions. Cause it can be really easy to like, chase the white rabbit down the road, right? Instead of being like, okay, like let's take a minute and really think about like, is this worth our time? Um, Chris Conroy, like I told him that he said this to me recently and he was like, that was a bit harsh. And he, he um, I mean, he's a very like driven, focused, passionate individual. And he said something one time, which really stuck with me. And he said, do less better. And I think that's really important, like super easy in our personal lives and in our professional lives to just spin out right? Like, oh, I'm going to do all these things instead of stopping and thinking about what's really going to achieve results for us, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and the fact that we can only do one thing at a time. Multitasking is a myth. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. And this is especially true for small businesses, tiny teams, solopreneurs, like you just, you can't do it all. And you're not also just not going to be able to keep up with the, the live cyclings of the world, right? Like the way you would do the marketing for a smaller bike brand is going to be completely different than you would do it for a live or a Yeti or, you know, Trek or Specialized or any of those. Um, And I think what you're actually saying about that other bike brand and sorry, what was the name of it again? Esker. Esker. Yeah. Okay. Esker. Okay. Uh, I love what you were saying about how they're kind of trying to define themselves with this more backcountry thing and less about the shiny new fancy geometries and stuff. Um, because I think that's 
a bike brand could say like, our thing is that we we want to get more people on bikes or we want to pay, make people more comfortable on bikes. And those are fine, but those aren't exactly like positions. Like we want to make people more comfortable in the backcountry by X, Y, Z. Like that's the differentiator. It's like it's really figuring yeah, that out. Yeah, I think that's important. It, exactly. The word differentiate is huge. And I, I, I love that you're bringing this up because like, um, I am always, and I will always be on the mailing list for Ripton always. I'm actually wearing a pair of their pants right now and they do it differently. Right. It's a, all every, I did receive one email recently that actually had photos and it was laid out and I was like, what's this, you know, but, but majority of the time it's just text, right. With hyperlinks and that I think in itself, like sure Ripton's tiny. Um, but they really put the line in the sand, like we do denim. We do it differently. And, you know, like we're not about getting everyone on denim. That's not their mission. It's about like making it fun and accessible and, and probably fun. But like he doesn't have, they don't have necessarily loads of cash, but he makes it really interesting and funny. Like I always read those emails because mm -hmm. they're hilarious. So, yeah, I think there's ways of doing that. Um, I think more often than not, we're going to have to look outside of the bike industry because clearly we can't just go around copying each other. Um, so I really encourage like, any brands I work with, like, what, what are you seeing out there that you just love? Like may not, like you're saying, it may not be attainable, but like, even like there's a great commercial that Tazo put out recently that talks about how they're trying to be more sustainable. And it's literally like a recording of a creative director. Like it's totally, you know, um, scripted, et cetera. But it is, the idea is that it's the creative director talking on the phone with their marketing person essentially. And they build the commercial from this like phone call. And it's like so smart. You know, like what, what can we do? Like looking at other places, other industries um, and how they're telling these stories in order to make our story stand out. And of course, like differentiating our product. I love that. Yeah. For as long as I've been in cycling, actually, before I was in cycling, I was obviously I'm of the age where I grew up with Blue Crush being like the cool movie of my teen years. So mm -hmm. let me tell you, surf culture is like 99% of how I think about like a cool brand at this point yeah uh, even now and i'm like surfing magazines way cooler than cycling magazines apologies to all the cycling magazines i write for but let's just be honest here um so i love i love the idea of going outside of your your niche and looking at other places i think that makes for much more unique marketing strategies uh, and avoids you falling into like the, oh no, I accidentally used the same phrasing that, you know, this brand used for almost the same thing. Goo. Yeah. Which unfortunately <laughs> can be like, if you're, if you're in like a crazy copywriting, like you have tons to do, like say it's a, you'll be like, oh God, does that sound familiar? <laughs> you Yikes, know, so you yep. have to be careful with that for sure. Yeah. And yeah. there's weird things that you wouldn't think of. Like, I remember there was much ado about the phrase women's specific design, a bunch of years oh, ago. Yeah. I would know nothing about that. Yes, yes. Uh, certain bike brands, you know, that was like their language. And even though, you know, women specific, like that just kind of became this ubiquitous thing that you'd kind of casually say. And then it'd be like, oh, you can't say that. <laughs> oh, not because we couldn't say it from like a PC standpoint. We couldn't say it from like a brand standpoint. Right. Yeah. Which is where Liv put their line in the sand for sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, like we've made decisions there, like, okay, women specific is always hyphenated women specific design. You know, like I was there during that time where we were differentiating ourselves as a brand and became a standalone brand from giant and like all, like all the way down to like, okay, it's hyphenated. It's here. This is how we talk about it. And I have really been proud of them because they put their line and they put the line in the sand. They put the flag on the ground. They were like, no, like we are going to stay women specific design. Um, you know, while other brands, 
like they like slowly backed off making eye contact, you know, and there isn't to say that that is um, wrong either. There's, I think there's opportunity. And again, like what we always had at live and what I'll continue to say as, you know, a supporter of anything around getting more women on bikes, getting anybody more on bikes, but especially women is like the best, the best thing is that there's options, right? That there's something for everybody. Um, I think that's great. Not within one brand though. You're trying to do it like we were saying, you're trying to do it for everybody. Okay, here's the deal. You wanna take control of your health, of your life, but honestly, who has the time to go into the doctor, get the requisition for all the blood work, and then go to the lab and actually have that blood drawn, then wait weeks for the doctor to get back to you with the results? No, absolutely not. Inside Tracker is the way to go. And bonus, you can do it from the comfort of your own home with their mobile blood draw. It is so easy. Oh my gosh, so convenient, so safe, so reliable. All you have to do is when you order your Inside Tracker panel, you actually just add the mobile blood draw option and then boom, suddenly you have a lab tech at your house at a time that works for you to take your blood. We did this last month and honestly, it was the easiest experience I have ever had with blood draws in my life. So convenient. And then the turnaround on the results is so quick and instantly you get this whole view of what is going on inside you with all of the important biomarkers that you need as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, as a go-getter. So definitely, definitely check them out. Save time in your day, add time to your life with Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw. And if you visit insidetracker.com backslash feisty, you get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com backslash feisty to get 20% off today. Okay, let's get super practical here. Small business, solopreneur, entrepreneur, anything. Who needs public relations and who needs marketing? And I realize I'm asking like a very obvious leading question, yeah. trick question thing here, but let's talk about why everyone needs these things to some extent. Yeah, and I think it goes back to that theme of like, what's really gonna move the needle, right? So like asking yourself those questions and being really clear on what are your goals for the year, how does that align with inventory and manufacturing? And like the, we're coming out of that kind of like hurdle, I think slowly. Um, but, you know, like really looking at, okay, where do, what are my goals? And, um, you know, I think that there, I hate using this term, but I'm going to use it. Um, if there's low hanging fruit within your marketing efforts that you are not making, you're not picking off the tree. I would like, so for example, if you have a, like a nice robust email list um, and you're not utilizing that in terms of like, communicating frequently with your consumer in a way that's meaningful and gives tools, um, then you're like, you're throwing money away. Like that list is there. They're clearly interested in learning more about you. So give them an opportunity to do that. Like I'm huge on direct marketing. It's, it's oftentimes one of the best ways, um, like best ROI effort you can make in terms of like bringing money in and interacting with your consumer in a really meaningful way. Similarly with customer journey, like looking at if you have the capability to see, oftentimes you do, Shopify offers this, so many of these um, tools now offer the ability to track what your consumer is doing and how, what they're buying from you. So offering them some sort of journey with that, like, okay, so Shredley, she bought, you know, she buys a pair of shorts. Have we told her about all the features in the shorts? Have we told her, you know, like, here's some fun activities that people like you are doing out there, you know, in your community that you could then connect with and have an experience with? Uh, you know, are we showing her other models that are like that? If she gets, if she, you know, unfortunately crashes and whether we like it or not, like 
Sometimes our shorts tear. Do you have a way to fix that? You know, there's so many things that we can have like a conversation with them. Then we can ask them for a review, right? Then we get that information, put it on the website, right? So like, I think like if you're not getting those types of things done where you have some low hanging fruit out there, if you don't have an email list, are you going to events? And are you gathering that information from them? Um, I think that there there's opportunities there. Now on the PR side, I think, yes, of course, I've worked in PR one way or another for a very, very long time, like literally 20 years in one way or another. Um, and I think that there are different, like there's different opportunities within each community, um, each brand, et cetera, um, that you have to look at. Um, and if that will move the needle for you, then I think it's worth making the effort. Um, here's what, and I love that you actually gave me some of these questions in advance in that, like, for example, I think, you know, like when you're looking for a PR term, like or PR team, like who, who should be looking for and what are maybe some red flags when someone's like, you know, talking to you about doing PR. Now, if they are coming to you and promising you the New York Times tomorrow, they are lying to you. Yeah, I know they want it. I know in their heart of hearts, of course, they want to get you a hit in the New York Times or Forbes. Like, absolutely. That is something that we all want. But that's an effort that can take anywhere from minimum three months to like five years. Like that's how long it takes. And I think that's the biggest thing to understand about PR. It's not flipping a switch. It's not going to happen tomorrow. Whereas I think direct marketing has a lot more of that, not really a, exactly a, a flip of a switch, but it's very much closer to that end of the spectrum than PR will be. Um, and that isn't to say on the PR side, like local media has some value. I'm not saying that's a great outlet for a lot of brands that is often overlooked. Um, outdoor right now, as we were talking about, uh, even before we hit record, it's in a, definitely in a transition. Like, I think we would be not um, uh, genuine if we didn't talk about what the elephant in the room, and that is the consolidation of outside and that consolidation of that whole media group. I mean, that's like literally last month, a few weeks ago, there was a big layoff there and an impact there on how PR, the PR world is going to interact with that outlet as a whole. Like, which is huge like massive repercussion. Yeah. Like we're all just like, who are we even talking to right now? Like we're, we kind of like, we're all kind of like, okay, find the footing. So um, the biggest thing on PR is that like, you know, like what you said too, in these questions prior is if someone is promising you New York times or like bulk emails, like we're going to send out, we're going to contact 500 media, contact five, contact 15 of people that you've done your research on. Oh, look, this person wrote about riding in pants in the winter okay, let's contact them and say, hey, you know, I've got a great pair of your favorite women specific design pants. And we'd love to send you a pair for testing. Is this something you're interested in? And if you're then if your client too is also um, worried about putting out too much product or the product is expensive, really having that, that real conversation like is this going to transpire into a review? That's a hard question to ask. Sometimes there are when you have the ROA to work with and you have sorry, when you have the revenue and product to work with, you can kind of like dump a little more and be a little less like concerned about ROI and that you're just getting the product out there. But if you're, if your client's like, Hey, like I only have 10 pairs of these pants, I'm just making that up, but you're not going to send out five. Right. So, and if you are sending out that one pair, you want to review. Um, and it's just better to have that conversation like out of the gate instead of like tiptoeing around it. Are we going to get a review out of that? And there are times you do that, but being clear on what that goal is. Which is definitely very, it's very tricky with that too, though, because like that comes with even its own, uh, its own stresses, like as someone who is often in that position, like, I mean, A, it's tough for the reporter or editor to like 
totally guarantee it. And B, it's actually a like slightly scary thing because if they do guarantee a review, they aren't guaranteeing a good review. So yeah, no, I think that's fair. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all, that's all very fair. Um, you know, I think there's, there's some hilarious meme accounts out there around that are literally about PR that only us PR people think are hilarious. Um, but like, you know, that, that marketing director that says like, oh, your, um, all PR is all about how good the pitch is. Okay, sure. Yeah, it's good. It's about the research. It's about, sure. It's about the pitch. It's about follow-up and guess what? It's also about the product. Like, and so like, I think when you have a PR person that isn't honest with you about how your product fits in the market and isn't giving you feedback on like really what, you know, like what difference that makes, or is there someone who's actually keen on writing about what that product is? Be concerned. Um, and I know it's hard to hear that. And I think it's it's hard even as a PR professional to be like, hey, guess what? Like, start, I mean, that's it's not special, right? Like, so let's but let's think of ways where it is special. And it's going to take some more work and time and effort in order for me to find someone who wants to write about that product in a way that is meaningful. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. I do, you, know, yeah. you know, 100%. Oh, you know. I definitely know. Um, actually, this is maybe an interesting thing for these, these smaller businesses that, you know, they're, they're maybe not going to get, they're not going to have the attention of like an outside magazine or any of like the, the big boys. Um, what's your thought on more of these like smaller influencers? And I mean, I'm going to call myself in here like podcasters and that kind of stuff. I actually feel like there's, there's a shift, I think in PR that I'm actually getting many more pitches now for the podcasts I run and for me than I am for, you know, bicycling or the other places I write for. Yeah, no, I think that's, and a good PR person agency is going to start doing that because like anything, um, media is, is going to be operating a bit on a pendulum. Um, and right now we're on that pendulum of, well, we've, we've kind of been on this pendulum for a long time, but a little bit more so in terms of like this consolidation of media, right. Um, it's happened on the, on the larger sense for a long time. We've seen this consolidation. However, um, on the outdoor and this fitness side, we, as we talked about, we've seen this major consolidation, right? So when when that media group goes over and does that major consolidation and we have less contacts in that space, then we have to find ways to get the, the get the word out a little more creatively. And that's where, yes, these influencers are going to come in. Now, I, I do think there's getting to be a little bit of a saturation even there, though that pendulum is going to swing a bit too. But that isn't to say that I think there's an opportunity there, but again, it's really about, okay, who's your audience? How does this person speak to your audience? Is that person giving your audience tools to interact with them in a way that's meaningful, right? So, um, you know, obviously like there's brands like Shredley and Team Evergreen that I work with, like they're very interested in diversifying. That's really important for them. That's uh, a goal for them and like hits very close to home. I would say the same thing for sure for Rebecca, um, Rebecca Rush, honestly, pretty much every brand I work with, that's like, I know that the cycling space has been a bit behind outdoor space too, in terms of um, being more diverse and attracting um, a more diverse audience. But that can be a really great place to look for someone in a genuine way. Like imagine actually supporting someone in this space, actually giving them funds and giving them tools to speak to a community that you want to help feel invited in. Right now, I will never claim to be a DEI specialist. That's not like that's I'm white, I'm privileged. You know, I know that. Um, but I do know <laughs> that um, we also have to l- look at creative ways in order to reach that that audience, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And engaging people that are DEI specialists, for sure. That's mm-hmm. really important. Absolutely. So 
all of this conversation is kind of leading me to this other question of why do you think small brands aren't really doing the marketing stuff? And my my kind of personal take as I'm thinking about it, and I didn't actually ask you this question in our outline. Sorry, it just no, occurred to me as we're talking no, about I, it. No, I, I don't mind. <laughs> is uh, I'm thinking a lot of us small business people actually have like a pretty serious fear of putting ourselves out there and actually making these marketing efforts. But at the same time, like we're not going to get people to come to us if we're not doing it. Yeah. I'm like, is this a counseling session? (laughs) I know, right? 100%. I just call this therapy. It's great. Yes. No, I have a whole page of like, oh, here's all these things I should be doing on my own feed. You know, um, not like maybe my M and B collective feed more than my own feed. Uh, my own feeds like just random skiing and dogs and biking and my partner, et cetera. But um, yeah, important stuff. But yeah, no, I think it is like it can be really hard to sit there and think about always promoting yourself. Um, but yeah, and I would also encourage people to think like, don't think that like just because someone has like 150 followers, they don't know what they're doing. It's because they're putting all their energy into creating reels for Shredley or creating like you know you know, different sort of marketing ideas for other people. So that's where I think, you know, don't take that as a red flag. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, yes, it's important. Yes, I should do it. Um, You know, and I, I, for me, it's like, it's that prioritization, right? Like, like when we get off this call today, I'm going to go and finish up the social media stuff for team evergreen for the rest of the month. That's my priority. Right. So oftentimes we push down um, that prioritization of promoting our own business I will go back. Um, I know she didn't think of it similarly to like a pendulum theory. Um, Anne Galleon, who was a she's a uh, was an ambassador way back when I worked at Yeti, but she's a I think she's a nanophysicist. She works at Alamo. Like she's very smart. She calls it burner theory, which I think is really interesting. So imagining like a range, like a stovetop, and you have a burner, right? And sometimes you got to move the like this burner is really hot, so I got to stir the pasta, right? Make sure it doesn't boil over. Um, And that doesn't mean that like, you're not going to pay attention to like this broccoli that's getting steamed over here, right? Like you are going to take care of this, get this, take, you know, make sure the pasta doesn't boil over and then get back to the broccoli. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it doesn't like, you're not, you can't do everything every day perfectly. You can't always be on top of promoting your own small business, but you can take like, okay, check this stuff off the list. Now I'm going to promote myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for, for me, I would say like a big part of my nervousness is always like, oh, you know, my, my Instagram, like my friends and my family are seeing it. And I've actually had to kind of shift away from thinking about them seeing it and actually thinking more, no, like the, the people who read my books or listen to my podcast are not to say that, not to say that my friends and family don't matter, but the people who are listening to my podcast and reading my books are the people who matter on my social media. My friends and family are the ones that I'm actually like messaging with and sending doofy pictures of my dog. Uh, so fair enough. I think there's like yeah. that weird se- kind of separation you need to do with yourself where you realize like, oh, right. I'm not speaking to my like mom who I might feel kind of dorky, like putting this this thing out. I'm speaking to the person who might actually buy the thing. Right. And what you're dealing with too is like, you have a brand within your own personal feed and you're not interested in separating off. And I think that's smart because you've built this audience, you've built some like a group that's engaged with you that might share your content. Um, and I always too think like, I don't necessarily, I don't believe my clients don't mind this. I don't work for, for people. Like even when, even when even like I worked in maybe in-house, I don't work for people. We have a partnership. We work together. I work with you. Um, and I think like even thinking of your own feed that way, 
might be a healthy way for you. Hey, I'm building a partnership. Like I'm building relationships. This is what, and it's not that you aren't building a relationship with your mom. You're also building a relationship with someone who might be interested in utilizing a service of yours or something like that. Like, I think like making that mental shift, which might feel semantic in some ways, um, can help when we're creating this type of content. Yeah. I think it's huge. Um, yeah. Awesome. Okay. So I love also talking about that content journey. Like you're taking the customers on that journey with the mailing list. I think the mailing list is probably, I cannot underscore it enough, the most important thing that any business owner of any level can be doing for themselves. Um, kind of bar, bar none, right? Like, because I think we, I'm sure you've, you've seen this, as you said, you're, you're managing some of the social accounts. We don't own those, right? Like, and it's terrifying. Like the Instagram algorithm like I want to hide under my bed half the time. So if if you don't have like the one thing you control, it's yep. Yes. Yeah. And similarly with PR, I actually meant to make make this point. So thank you. Like there are there are aspects of marketing you cannot control, right? So you can control the content on your website. You can control for the most part the content you create, whether that's photography, video, blogs, um, in terms of newsletters, same thing. You can control for the most part what that content looks like. And you also, for the most part, understand how what your consumer will interact with, open, click, et cetera, um, via those outlets. Um, yes, the algorithm is sometimes hell. Um, and that, you know, that's where you go in and you're reading, you know, what is the, what is the algorithm doing right now? Like, what are the, like, and nobody knows, like that would be, that's the million dollar question, right? Like even with Google AdWords, not that I, I don't actually do Google, Google AdWords. I'm hoping someday to gain that education. I'm working on it. Um, but that there are, you can read blogs about like, Hey, here's what I'm noticing about the algorithm right now. Um, like we, for example, we know with Instagram, like video is the way to go. It's all about the reels. It's all about stories. Like we know that even in terms of, right. I know, I know how we're interacting with it on our own level. I forget which button on my thing makes the womp yeah. womp sound. But if I could remember, yeah. I'd yeah. be pressing it right yeah. now. <laughs> right. It is. And it, I mean, whether like a beautiful picture will, will serve in some ways. That isn't to say that there isn't people out there that interact with that, but the algorithm is favoring those other things. Um, in terms of the PR side, that's you're at the crux of it, right? We don't know how we're going to do our best. Like we have some formulas around like how to formulate a pitch and how, what that looks like. And which I'm more than willing to talk about a little bit. Um, um, but at the end of the day, like what if the, the editor of the New York times says, I don't want to see one more cycling story in, in it for the next quarter. And that kind of stuff happens. We've covered cycling way too much. I don't want to see anything about cycling for the next like X amount of time. And they will say that because that they have a responsibility to their readership, to their consumer, if you will, to provide content that lands with them and is varied and all these other things, right? Mm -hmm. So there's aspects of PR that we just cannot control, whether we like it or not. And I know that's hard to hear. It's hard for me to say it um, because I wish, of course, I'm gonna have control freak issues sometimes. I wish I could guarantee you that, but that's that's the gamble, right? There is an aspect of PR. I always, I label PR as kind of, um, probably more than anything, it's almost like a form of sales, right? Like you're like, you're going out there and being like, Hey, are you interested in this thing? Are you interested in talking about it? You know, and it, it's, there's an aspect. Yes. Like it, there's an aspect of cold calling and that, yeah, I may not have ever talked to this person that's fat biker in, you know, wherever that writes for net might, might write for bicycling now and making this up, you know, but I'm going to cold call them via email and say, Hey, you know, I saw this article. Awesome. Have you seen this? Um, and you just hope and pray 
Yeah. <laughs> Which actually does lead us very neatly into the what have you learned about pitching successfully question, because I think there's a lot of people who, you know, maybe want to even test the waters on a couple of their own reach outs. But like, what does a good pitch look like? What should we have kind of on deck to here? I'm thinking about like photos, assets, that kind of stuff that I think, because if someone says yes, you don't want to just be like sitting at your keyboard like, oh, shit, they said yes. What do I do? <laughs> yeah, I think that's perfect. Yes. So yes, of course, photo assets, if it's a particular product, um, sometimes we're promoting ideas, right? So like, hey, you know, we're doing this thing that's, you know, like we're leading this group ride or what have I'm making something up, but like whatever, it, whatever that is. But yes, having that kind of like those photos in line, what those points are um, that you really want to go back to, maybe talking points. Um, and uh, yeah, just like making sure that's very clear. So within the pitch itself, um, it showed you need to show that you've done your research. You know who they are. You might know where they live, and you don't necessarily. I don't have Cision or Muckrack anymore, which are um, they're, they're, those are great tools. They can be very junky, and that like that's a great place to create a list of 500 emails for yourself, um, and just press send and hope and pray, and then your email is probably ruined because it thinks it's spam. Um, so I don't really recommend that. But uh, it shows that you've done your research, and <laughs> this is where I was going to say it's. But it's also a little bit. Um, investigatory. I mean, that's a word I just made up because I don't want to say the S word that can feel a little bit scary for people. Um, oftentimes you've looked at that person's Instagram. You have um, done a Google search on them. That's like, oh yeah, here's mostly like, what are the articles they've written? You know, if you haven't met the person, please don't comment on their kid. Like that's weird. No, like, that's creepy. Don't do that's, that. that's getting that's into creepy. the- Like, right? Yeah, we're in we're so in stalker like, territory. Then. We're just gonna say it. We're in right. stalker. Territory I was okay. Then. We're gonna say the S word. Yeah, yeah. I don't. And that's where, like, if you're feeling that stalker vibe coming in, like, back off. Um, but you know, oftentimes their Instagram is open. Don't go friend them if it's not open. You go to Google, um, and you and you look it up and figure out, you know, what are they writing about? And comment, hey, like, go and read the article. Like, I know it takes some time, um, but for the most part, like, it's gonna be worth every second that you spend on it. And say, hey, I, I really found this interesting, or Maybe, maybe you have a contradictory thought that's a little bit riskier, but like, Hey, I, I found it like this, but you know, want to talk to you about it. Um, and then uh, I always really recommend bullet pointing. People don't have time to read massive emails. Um, and then just really closing out with the ask, right? Like that's the end of the day. Hey, do you want to review this product? Are you interested in learning more? Um, that kind of thing. So it's like a structure of a be personable, maybe tell them a little about yourself, let them know that you've read an article or two by them why you think that a product, a product that you have would be interested in, bullet point that, um, and then close out with what that ask is. I love that. Um, and I want to ask about, I want to follow that up with asking about follow-ups because say you hear crickets, what's, what's your take on the follow-up? I know oh, there's, gosh. everyone has a different, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and what are the thing in the, in the initial pitches, I, if you can put a small photo, um, or link in there. Don't go crazy because it, it'll like overwhelm their inbox. And if the, if the email is too nasty and big, it'll toss it out. But yeah, a, a nice photo of the product works great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. That's such totally a good good tip. Put that in there. Oh, such yeah, a good like, tip. Oh, hey, shrink that's what these pants look like. Yeah. And shrink your photo, please. Don't make shrink. it 18 megabytes because that's awful. Um, yeah. The follow-up, you know, oh God, I've had I've worked in PR situations where, you know, you get the thing back. They say, I've literally had, I've literally, literally had someone, I think, I don't remember what publication it was, but it was like of the New York Times size say, hey, we're not writing about cycling for the next three months. And I've had like someone say to me, well, hey, you, you heard back from them. You should like follow up with them and be like, well, but, but wait, but wait, but wait, there's more. 
you know, and I think like they've told you something and I, I don't, I want people to feel heard. And I think that also counts for journalists. They're also human beings. They don't need another email. You know, I mean, how I did respond to that was like, hey, thank you for letting me know, because that way I don't, ha- I'm not going to be bothering you for the next three months. Um, I will be contacting you after April 15th, you know, like, thank you. Um, and I, I, I think it's important to like, ha- if a journalist isn't heard and you're like, imagine that, like if someone t- says something to you and then you continue to do what they've asked you not to do, that's not cool. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's not. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, and I think follow-up is just being really aware of what's going on. Like, again, like, so do I, if I'm pitching, like December is always a like, oh, oof, a month for PR, right? Like this point, gift guides are already set. There are little things that happen here and there for sure. Like the last minute gift guide, it happens. Like, um, and it isn't to say that like PR is dead in December. No, like that's not the case at all. But um, like, don't pitch someone on Thanksgiving weekend. Like, what are you doing? Like they have a family, they have, they're, no, don't do that. Um, you know, and around the holidays, it's like, give people grace. Like I'm not following up. Like for the most part, I might follow up like on an interval of like probably a week and a week and a half. Um, I really won't go more than two weeks without follow-up. Um, but if it's the holidays, like, frankly, I'm working on follow-up even like last week from the holidays, which I think is actually really smart. Yeah. They come back from the holiday. Their inbox is chock full. Yep. You know, in holidays, whether we like it or not, it's always a little bit stressful and, or we've come out of this weird mode where we're like, what time do I even wake up in the morning? I've stayed up till two, a couple of times watching God only knows what, or doing a jigsaw puzzle with my family. There's mm-hmm. one right there. Not done yet, but <laughs> <laughs> so like it's there, there's, there's our national parks jigsaw puzzle coming together. Amazing. Um, so I think that like giving people grace around that is really important. Um, cause they're human beings. So, yeah. And I yeah. think that's actually a great point because especially because a lot of people who are running these small businesses or they're starting as side hustles are actually going to be more inclined to send things on the weekend, on Thanksgiving at weird hours, because that's when they're working. But here's like the tip boomerang or like any of these other add-ons delay send. Delay you still, send. Yeah. You can still send, send, write them when you want to write them, but delay that send till office hours I think it also just kind of comes off as more professional like I'm a little weirded out when I get something in my inbox from like at like 1 a.m like that just seems weird to me yeah no that's fair I think that's I think that's really really good advice because I yeah I use that all the time like okay I want want to get back to her but or them or whatever I don't but I don't want them to feel like oh like I don't know yeah I want to come off as professional um I don't want them to feel pressured like even people even clients I work with I do that too like that's one of the great parts about owning my own business is that like, I don't have to ask for a powder day because I'm disciplined and I've done my work leading up and then I can go ski in the morning and then I can come home and work into the evening. That's a major plus of owning my own business, but I don't need to make that everyone else's problem. Right. So I think that's really important. Like, okay, I've got home on Wednesday night. I'm going to keep typing until 10 PM and I'm going to have those sent you know, tomorrow morning at nine, eight, eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, this is sort of a non sequitur, but I'm thinking about it as we were talking about uh, not the S word, uh, checking into people on Instagram. Um, what is your take on LinkedIn these days? I'm actually feeling like LinkedIn might be trending again. Like it might be the new place. Yes. I How agree did that with happen? That. I agree with that very much so. 
<laughs> well, I think job market, right? The job market's wacky. Like all these tech jobs. Um, I think, you know, like, is it, it this, we're going into this recession that we don't know really how to define it, right? Like we know it's coming. We know there's an economic, like, well, we've been in an economic shift for a while. We know that. Um, but it's not, doesn't have the usual markers, right? Like if it walks like a duck or quacks like a duck, we're like, uh, but it's kind of not doing either one of those things. Um, so, you know, we know that's happening. And then like tech layoffs, um, specialized, like there's just people looking for jobs. Um, but I also feel like it's like this place where you can have really mature conversations and people aren't going to act like children. And I think that's appealing, right? Yeah. Like I can't, I can't like get on my soapbox um just rant on LinkedIn. That's not a good move for me professionally. Um, that isn't to say I haven't done it before. Not on LinkedIn, somewhere else, maybe. Um, as you can tell, I have some political standings, maybe love here it, or there. Love it, love it. Um, but yeah, so I think that that's like it's like this place where you can have adult conversations with a little um little more maturity. Yeah. And then the job market is like, like, am I secure? Am I okay? Yeah. And I, yeah, I'm like, I do. I 100% agree. I was thinking of that literally a couple of days ago. I'm like, LinkedIn's back. It's so weird. <laughs> I'm actually yeah. checking it. Yeah. I do have one rule. I have to have really interacted with you on a pretty, like, like I have to know you on LinkedIn if we're going to be, if we're going to be friends on LinkedIn. Cause I think that's the point of it. Like I hate when people email me and they're like, Hey, how do you know such and such? I'm like, I don't know what they could happen to me the other day. Like, Oh, I, I'm applying for this job here. And you know this person. I was like, how did I let them in? Because I don't know them. So I guess I maybe didn't always have that rule, but that's my rule now. Like, <laughs> like no, it's I a, have it's to a have had rule. some sort of interaction, like a pretty like involved interaction with you for us to be friends on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So it's more functional. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah, it's funny. I had to actually add like a recurring to do item to check my LinkedIn because I'm so not in the habit of doing it. I also had to update my picture from like college recently because yep yeah it had been that long yeah and I'm like oh who's that fresh-faced little little person in there she doesn't look like me you still look fresh-faced <laughs> yeah like I used to when I got the LinkedIn notifications I'd be like oh now I'm like oh okay so yeah it, I I feel the vibe I'm with you yeah very very weird um okay on the note of uh of your amazing politically themed mug it's a uh, fantastic I love it uh Ruth Bader Ginsburg adorable um I feel like it actually is no longer uncool for companies to have stances. Mm. Like I feel like there was a time, maybe say 10 years ago where small businesses, you were actually better off not having a stance and being very sort of apolitical, just sort of mild mannered. But now it actually seems like, like having a voice is actually a positive. So I think for for some people who are maybe like nervous about, and maybe that's even why they've separated their company from like them on social. I think it's actually, I don't know. Now I think it might be okay to, to put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, we've gone as a society and as a planet, we've gone through so much in the past now three years. Oh my God, it's crazy. Um, in so many different ways that I think, you know, yeah, the old saying, and I don't even know who said it. If you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. Um, and I, and it's not like anymore, it's not about like taxes and, you know, whatever it's about, like oftentimes life or death, um, not to get on my political soapbox. Here we go. Um, but like, you know, being, being a political is a privilege. Like, that's just that if you are like, oh, I don't involve myself in politics. I'm like, you ooze with privilege, um, because you clearly haven't been impacted then by 
like what it means when a regulation comes down on you and you don't have access to the healthcare that you need, or, um, you know, you're scared to send your kids to school for a variety of reasons like that, that is like being a political is a privilege. Um, you know, I think there are, there are companies that can walk the line. Um, and I, you know, I don't think you have to necessarily like, you know, again, you know, put the, put the flag in the ground or whatever to use that euphemism again. But, um, I think that there's also, there are stances that just have to be taken for the health of like your business and the health of your consumer. Um, yeah, very much so. I agree with you. Yeah, definitely do not need to be scared of doing it. I mean, you might you might lose some potential clients, but you also might gain some others. And I mean, also yeah. just be doing the right thing for you. So Right. I mean, look at Nike. Mm-hmm. They were like, no, we are standing with Colin Kaepernick. Like that is like a non-negotiable for us. You know, and I think, sure, they've lost some consumers, but you know what they gain? They gain people who are far more engaged and have a lot more loyalty and respect for them as a brand than they did prior to that. And I think that's a gain. And I don't want to say that they did that. Like they didn't do that. I mean, maybe they did, but that was not their, their intention with Colin. They believe in what he is doing and what he stands for and they support him, you know? And I think that, that speaks volumes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They stood for something. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, They stood for something that was kneeling, which is ironic, but there we go. (laughs) Among other things. Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like we could talk about all of this stuff all day, but we should, we should probably wrap this up. And before we do, I just wanted to ask, like, are there any either best or worst practices someone should do or should avoid when they're thinking about marketing? And I know I just said should, and I know we don't like the word should, but let's be honest, sometimes it's the right word. (laughs) Yeah. I know like, again, Chris Conroy was like, that sounded really harsh, but I really do think that do less better is really important. I mean, it's something I think about a lot. Um, I think, you know, it doesn't sound fun, but being disciplined is really important. Um, you know, it's sitting down and doing that work. Like uh, in, I think, you know, like right now, a lot of diagnoses fly around and like, by no means would I minimize like, oh, you have an ADHD diagnosis or ADD, but guess what? We're all, we all have a form of ADD. Like our society says, look here, go there. Da, 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 da. Um, and if you just like, just turn off your phone, get focused and like really get those things done. Like it's amazing what results come of that. Um, and that's kind of like, that's like, that's my parting word to myself, probably my parting words to my clients. It's just like, get focused, get disciplined, do less better. Um, and just kind of watch those results sort of come at you. You know, we all want something for nothing, like, of course, but you'd be surprised. Like if we really just sit down and like, you just take like, legit focus for 90 minutes without any interruptions and see what happens like and do that like take it and then take a 15 minute break and then really focus for those intervals um is really helpful i think yeah yeah i could not agree more and i think it is really difficult to do that i mean i know like you say you have to go do a month worth of social posts for a brand and i think that only gets... two only two weeks only two weeks <laughs> i don't recommend doing the whole month at once It's so hard because that basically requires you to be toggling into social media and like touching on this and, you know, so you're, you are, you're not multitasking, but you are bopping between these things. And I know for me that happens constantly where it's like, oh, I'm writing an article, but I need to check a fact on this thing. And, oh, look, I clicked on the, you know, browser and, oh, my Gmail is open. Whoops. Um, The, the distraction is very real. Yeah. 
Yeah. Catch yourself. That's why, because yeah. I, I do it too. I'm like, what, the, what was I even doing in here? Why am I suddenly looking at a pig dancing? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think it's like, especially in the marketing world, just bring yourself back and remember what you're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Which I think does come to that having, probably having that like to-do list about like, what are my things I'm going to work on? Am I going to like dial in my newsletter and that customer journey? Am I going to create five social media posts with captions and load them in? Like, what exactly am I going to do instead of just kind of being like, I'm going to work on marketing today. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Getting specific on that stuff too. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to remember it specifically, but there's a three, three, three rule. Isn't that there's like three things you have to get done. Um, like you have to get done today. That's like a fire, right? There are three things that are more long-term. Um, and then I forget what the other third thing is. I think is. it's I'll, three I'll, things I'll you're not going to do. It's like the three things oh. you shouldn't do. I might be wrong, hey, but go, if I'm not, go down the, the social That's media rabbit hole. Yeah. 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 I think it's, we'll just create our own. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Done. Literally. Okay. Tell everyone <laughs> where they can find you, where they can check in and see what you're up to and possibly even work with you. Yeah. Um, I have a website, which is obviously a place where you should always have great information about your company. And that's M as in Maui, one of my dogs and B as in blue, my other dog collective, super creative name. So my, my business name is M and B collective, um, dot com. That's how you would find me. Um, also stands for marketing and branding or, uh, mind and body or Madonna and Bowie or milkshakes and burgers. No, all kinds of great stuff. So, uh, M and B collective.com. I also have at M and B, um, on Instagram. And then I'm personally, you can find me at Jeanette Noel. If you want to see me ski poorly or whatever. <laughs> Amazing. Well, and see the M and B behind the M and B. Oh, like, yes. I didn't see the dogs yeah, now. <laughs> they're upstairs because they're terriers and they um are they talk too much. They would be yapping too much. Yeah. So yeah, then they could be yeah. having a conversation with my sleepy dachshund over here. Oh gosh. Okay. Like hiding well, behind me. We yeah. could have. They wouldn't have slept. <laughs> they would be screaming. So they have their little snuffle stars upstairs with treats in them. Poor things. Talk about privilege. Jeez, tough, life, tough life. Tough life. Um, well, Jeanette, thank you so much for doing this. This was so informative and just so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Thank you, Molly. And I'm just so impressed by everything you're doing in the in the space for women and athletes and small business owners. So we really appreciate you and we see you um, and we're here for it. Oh, thank you. Okay. I absolutely love that conversation. I know I say this every time, but I just found that so helpful. I have a couple of my own endeavors, you know, one that I've had for years and years, one that I'm kind of contemplating starting. And of course this podcast, which is, you know, coming up on about half a year old. So I have kind of different companies in different stages of development. So for me, this conversation was so helpful in thinking about how I would market all three of those and what I want to think about going forward with all three businesses. It gave me just so much food for thought. So I would love to hear what you thought of this episode, what your biggest takeaways were. Uh, And honestly, if you have any other questions about marketing, because I would love to get Jeanette back on to do more all about this PR marketing branding side of things. I just think she has such a wealth of knowledge and comes at it in such a authentic way. So I really enjoyed talking to her about that. So definitely make sure if you are looking for PR help or advice, check out mnbcollective.com. And of course, please head over to Instagram, follow us business.of.fitness or follow me at Molly J. Herford. And just let me know what you think of the show, what you thought of this episode, what questions you have, any guest recommendations, all that fun stuff. And of course, if you could head to whatever podcast, uh, 
app you're listening to this on and leave a rating and review. That would be absolutely amazing. I would really, really appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend and we'll see you next week.